Hi, I'm Vlad and I'm the co-founder of Techsylvania and you're listening to Eastern Europe Exposed, a podcast about startups, founders and investors. In this show, we're looking to shed a bit of light on the Eastern European tech ecosystem and some of its key players. You will hear from technical experts, founders and investors based or doing business in this part of the world. For today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Corey Reed, who's a managing director at Titan Partners, serial entrepreneur and angel investor. Corey, welcome to the Eastern Europe Exposed podcast. Uh, It's really great to, to have you. I would like to start off by uh, asking you to share some insights into your background. How did you get involved with the technology and startup scene? Uh, What are some of the companies you've worked with in the past? Sure. So thanks a lot for having me. It's uh, it's exciting to be here. And uh, congratulations on all the work you and your team are doing with Techsylvania. And, and moving technology forward and the education around it in uh, Eastern Europe and beyond, it's very cool. So what, what sort of got me into the space, you know, I, I've always wanted to, from the time I was young, to start a business and to grow a business. And as a youth, I did, right, in certain areas, I did little things that were, um, sort of youth oriented, right? All youth like potato chips. And I, I figured out a way to make potato chips from scratch that were really delicious, and I started selling those door to door. And you know, I had a lawn mowing business where I did yard work, uh, and I had a trailer and a truck and the machine uh, that I needed. And and you know, so I've I've always been inclined that way when I was young. And what what I, age was that? It was <laughs> did you start your first uh, business? Uh, the potato chips I started doing in fourth grade. Wow. So I was, uh, what, uh, 12 mm-hmm. uh, or 10. I think 10, I think that's 10. Um, so I also watched my father who was a dentist. So not what you would traditionally think of as a business, but he, he operated his practice as a business and he grew it to, uh, one of the largest in, in the area where I grew up. And, uh, I watched his approaches focus on process and efficiency but mostly on people and how he motivated and incented his team and how he took them on a trip every year based on their profit level and achieving goals and that sort of thing. And, and I watched my grandfather who created a really huge business in, in the tile and construction business and how he worked with his team and how he grew. And so I saw all these examples around me and I was very observant and curious uh, as a child, I still am insatiably curious, but I would watch and ask questions and and uh, it just fueled me even more. And during college or university, uh, you know, you go out on the weekends and you do fun things. And uh, my friend's father had started uh, a health equipment and exercise company. And I always had questions for him on Fridays before we would go out. And he would sort of smile at this college student and answer the questions. And uh, one time, I, you know, I started thinking more and more about it. And I was obsessed with it because the more questions I asked, the more information I obtained, the more ideas that I had and the more interested I became in 
in it. And the more I thought maybe I could help out too. And so uh, I, I put together a, a, some ideas that ended up being about eight pages in a Word document of ideas and approach. And at the time there were just, <clears throat> pardon me, four of them. And one Friday I said to him, I said, Gary, uh, I'm wondering if I can meet with you this week. I've got some ideas for your business. And he sort of smiled again as if to say, <clears throat> that's, that's sweet, right? Uh, college student, you've got some ideas, but sure, come visit. And so I did, and we spent about four hours together. And at the end of that meeting, he said, we, let, let's get you on board here. And so I was the first non-family uh, employee at that company, and we grew it, ended up growing it to about a quarter of a billion dollars in revenue. And what Working was so beans. fantastic, wow. yeah, and what, yeah, and and uh, what was so fantastic about that <clears throat> experience for me was that almost every idea that I had, he would say simply, "Yes, try it." And there there wasn't a lot of support offered. I just went out and did it right. And so, almost with every project I had, it was sort of a micro entrepreneurial experience of creating a revenue stream at this company that we ended up growing to be quite large. And the opportunity he provided me to learn and to do to succeed and occasionally fail and learn was something that I couldn't even pay for. It was so valuable, right? So, so that was, that was really early on in my career. And you know, I'm driven by change and disruption, empowerment, solving problems to provide opportunity and education. And, you know, those are some of the things that drive me. And so, so you know, getting into the tech and startup scene is very natural than a, a natural direction to go. Uh, I, I joined a company early on in the Bay Area called HomeGain that was around democratizing the home buying and selling process. So, uh, instead of just calling, you know, someone that you see on a sign or that had a better website, you could profile the home you wish to sell or purchase anonymously. And that information would go out to bid essentially to agents in the area that were uh, working that area. And they would propose back to you a, a full blown proposal on why they were the right person, the right professional to represent you. And you could call that list until the point that you wanted to expose yourself for negotiation. And, uh, you know, we, we grew that uh, to be quite large as well. We raised about $70 million in, in venture capital. And, uh, and that ended up being acquired. But while I was there, I saw that the real estate and finance market was incredibly fragmented. And I thought there was a great opportunity to to create and and some franchise value there, and so so I got involved in that space as well. And while there, I became fascinated with the education around that space, both uh, for consumer and industry. And so I got heavily involved in government affairs at the state and national level. So I spent a lot of time in in Sacramento, the the capital of California, as well as Washington D.C working with legislators, helping them understand the space and the needs for consumers and the needs for professionals. And it was a really great learning experience. And then I ended up working with the California 
uh, real estate commissioner to to re- rehab and rewrite uh, the education and testing for over 500,000 licensees in California. And, you know, diving into education curriculum and testing was really fascinating to me as well, because it tied deeply to to something I felt strongly about, which is education. I had lived in a third world country as uh, a young adult, and I had seen the the difference education can make. It's one of the few things I believe that can disrupt a poverty cycle. Mm-hmm. And I saw the you know the the change even in my own family and with my children. And you know we're we're big believers in education. And so then I started focusing on the education space itself in technology and thinking there, there were lots of areas to, to be able to disrupt, one of which was uh, Blackboard, which was the 800-pound gorilla in the learning management space. And they had done fantastic things for education and been very innovative, but they were at a point of growth where uh, there weren't enough others, and I felt like you know, the, the, uh, there was a different way to do it. And so I joined uh, a very early-stage company pre-beta and we went after Blackboard and and started growing that very rapidly. And that's in the higher ed space where where the, the hope was to create some additional communication channels and found time for the student and the, the professor. But if you really want to have an impact, at least in education, affecting change in the K-12 space is is much more impactful because you can you can contribute to making a difference in a child's life in the developmental phase. And if you can create a love for learning or participate in an enhancing a love for learning or a desire to learn, that can change in lives and even generational impact. And so, uh, you know, I ended up getting involved in the K-12 space and and really loved that as well. And, and you know, Instructure went public and Mastery Connect, which was the K-12 company, we raised over $30 million, became a leader in the, the assessment and curriculum space. Uh, but overall, I love the opportunity to scale the impact, whatever it is, through growing a technology company. Mm-hmm. So that's a really long, long answer to your subset of questions there. Uh, I'm curious, you're mentioning about Mastery Connect that uh, when you guys decided to start a company, you wanted to go after the main player in, in this space. Uh, what is it that you think that uh, uh, were your key advantages and how uh, did you think at that point that you're going to disrupt that uh, that big company who basically owned the space? Well, that that was that was uh, in structure and mm-hmm. that that was interesting because uh, how it started was a couple of computer science students were given the challenge in in their master's program to create an idea as a project uh, of software that could be built better, right? And so, you know, Blackboard for all of its positive innovation and contribution to to moving uh, the experience online uh, from paper based and all the efficiencies that are created with that, uh, it was older technology and so the user experience was not the same that you know back in the what we called the web 2.0 days right where okay. where users were having a positive experience on the web the great user experience and then they were logging into this user experience for their 
their their college work that was uh, dramatically different and and not as smooth and not as positive of a user experience. Also, you know, and th- this is just just sort of a, a a result of the size and scale of a company. It becomes difficult to innovate as quickly, right? And so they turn to acquisitions to M and A. And they they would they would grow through M and A. They weren't growing through organic growth as much, and we felt like there was an opportunity to to create a user experience that was reflective of the web environment in which most people were already operating. To be very focused on on the customer experience from a support perspective, from training, from doing things such as um, you've heard the term walled garden. At the time, Blackboard made it very difficult uh, to for, for the institution to get their data out uh, to ever make a change, and so we we went after that as well to create a competitive advantage, and we created software that made it much easier to transition your data out of that solution when when making a change, but really just to focus on the end users, which were the students and the teachers, the professors. Uh, and, and that was our focus on making it a positive user experience for them so that they could enjoy their education more than being upset when they logged in. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, very interesting. Uh, on another note, um, you have recently decided to move to, to Romania, to Eastern Europe. Uh, I'm curious, uh, why did you decide to, uh, to move here? And uh, what were the opportunities that you saw when you decided uh, to to stay in this place for some time? Sure. So, you know, my wife and I, before we were married, were talking about our desire to live abroad at some point. And, you know, being a startup guy, as you can appreciate, it's difficult to to just uproot and move for a year uh, in the startup world when you're working the hours that you are and scaling a company and a team and that sort of thing. It's it's easier, I think, if you're working for a multinational corporation and you can expat, right? Mm-hmm. But but we felt very strongly about it. And I, I had lived abroad uh, in in my, you know, before we were married and the change that it inspired in me was immeasurable. What I learned from people, what I learned from a different culture, it was immeasurable. My wife did as well. So she lived, I lived in the Philippines. She lived in Mexico and out on a rancho and taught uh, literacy in Spanish, which is her second language. And so we both felt very strongly about that. And so we started planning it a couple of years ago because we felt our children were of age where we had to make it happen now or never, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and the, the goals that we had are, you know, the cult- cultural anthropology. So engaging with and learning from people in another culture different than when you're on holiday and you go and you see monuments and such that inspire wonder, uh, you know, through the historical value of them, but to truly immerse and engage with people in another culture inspires change in both parties. And we wanted that for our family to broaden mind and perspective, deepen gratitude and to serve together too, right? Getting our our hands dirty rather than just donating money at some dinner and spend time together. And so, you know, if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, well, we want to do a gap year. We want to be gone for a year. 
and we're we're looking at the entire world saying we can go anywhere where do we go where is most aligned with our goals where can our efforts have a measurable impact we landed on romania we we had been here for holiday and really loved it and my my wife and children say it just sort of gets gets under your skin and into your heart right and and um you know it's it's a gorgeous country uh, huffington post recently published an article positing is it the most beautiful country in in europe right mm-hmm. um so it's it's gorgeous it's brimming with very smart talented and resourceful people and we've been really inspired by the impact of small groups in Romania and how much that a small group of people can do. And in fact, Vlad, you and your team are one of those. You do this amazing conference every year with an incredibly small team. And it's just the talent here is impressive. And, you know, I think it's interesting to us that communism soul killing tentacles were extricated just 30 or so years ago. And so there's great change and growth here at a, a democracy level as well, right? Technology is a big focus, which is really fascinating, of course, and aligned with, you know, what I know and do. And it's an adventure. And so those are some of the reasons why we ended up in Romania and are loving our time here so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of technology. Uh, what would you say are some of the opportunities that most people do not notice in the local ecosystem and how could uh, they best uh, take advantage of this? So, you know, that's a great question. I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of focus in the country and and growth around providing resources for foreign companies that are outsourcing. And I love that this is building a middle class in Romania and exposing more people to the opportunities that exist in technology, such as, you know, learning around the ecosystem of technology and building companies, the processes, global impact of solving problems, et cetera, right? But I'm concerned that at some point, Romania even prices itself out of the market, so to speak, Right. And and what I mean by that is companies perhaps finding another country earlier in the timeline of innovation and growth that can provide the same resources that they're outsourcing for for less money. And it's it's breathtaking how quickly big companies will make those changes, right? Yes. And so, you know, if if you think of um, the coal industry in America uh, and the the massive infrastructure and ecosystem that was built around that, and as that started to to change how it it left all these ghost towns in its wake, you think of the auto industry, Detroit, you know, read about Detroit, and it used to be this thriving thriving community and this thriving growth area and and it turned into an absolute ghost town where homes were being sold for a thousand dollars a piece at one point years ago there were thousands of homes i think uh it was listed for a thousand us dollars a piece uh the finance industry the the you know all of these things you, you look at the steel belt now the rust belt um and so 
that's my concern is that we're building too much infrastructure around providing services for other countries, other companies in other countries. And, you know, if, if you look at Romania over the last 40 or so years, you know, communism um, dictated a certain type of work and, and your life, really, right? It defined your life. And then that left and there was this sort of crash and exodus of people uh, into other other countries, uh, working abroad, moving back to Germany and Transylvania with all these jobs abroad. And then there's been this tech rush with with countries that we're, we're outsourcing to. And and again, I love that it's building a middle class, but I think the time is now for this knowledge bank, this brain trust, this amazing pool of talent to start building their own companies, for Romanians to start uh, to engage more in their own startups mm -hmm. and to, to grow those here locally and to exit those because there's an amazing environment for that here. Uh, I think there's an increasing willingness to invest I think the credibility of the country and the workforce is very high. I think corruption is dissipating. I've been really inspired by the grassroots level of people standing up saying we won't accept uh, these behavior uh, anymore. And and so I think there's there's really an amazing opportunity there. And that's what that's the opportunity I see that that I don't know if people notice as much in the local ecosystem. I'm just a little bit concerned that people are becoming too comfortable with the, you know, salary increases and that sort of thing in the existing ecosystem and are not focused enough. There are certainly lots that are, but we need more focused on starting and growing companies in Romania mm -hmm. by Romanians. That's what I Okay. Uh, and are you planning to, to get involved with some of the the interesting companies that you see in the region? If so, how, how would you like to support uh, these companies? Yeah, totally. So, you know, I mean, I, I advise uh, lots of entrepreneurs and I invest in companies uh, periodically. And, and, you know, I'm looking for people who are really passionate about the problem they're trying to solve or the opportunity they're trying to create uh, that matter, right? Problems and opportunities that matter. No Snapchat for me, right? That's silly. Um, uh, but, you know, driven by similar motivation. So money isn't first. Money's the wake behind the boat. If the problem that you're solving or the opportunity you're creating is the boat, the bigger it becomes, the faster it moves, the bigger the wake is. And that's generally the money behind it, right? I'm looking for real grit and work ethic and, and you know, people that are team builders that believe that business is people. Because when you hear that term, well, that's business, uh, that often masks somebody taking advantage of or harming another person for short-term gain. And so, you know, I love learning about ideas. Again, I love problems being solved and opportunities being created by passionate and gritty entrepreneurs that, that you know, really want to build something special. And this whole notion that it has to be a billion-dollar company is an absolute farce. It doesn't. Uh, there will be some, sure, but if the focus is building a billion-dollar company, 
then the investor and the entrepreneur has a higher probability of destroying the company rather than building a company that matters, that's profitable, that provides jobs, that solves a problem, that creates an opportunity and scales uh, over time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I advise lots of founders and entrepreneurs. I'm always willing to chat with people that have questions or want some more insight or connections. I'll invest in the right ones and can help source investment capital. So, you know, I would say uh, email or LinkedIn is, is a good way to get me. Okay. We'll provide the details uh, of your LinkedIn profile uh, in the notes of the show. Well, thank you so much for joining us okay. on uh, the Eastern Europe Exposed podcast. It was a, a pleasure to have you, and uh, we look forward to having you involved in the local ecosystem. Thanks very much, Vlad. Have a good day. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. For future episodes, please subscribe on these two channels. For today, I have the pleasure